It's go time. Welcome to Third Down Gamble, everyone. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham and Pat Mooney. You couldn't have asked for four better games. Each had their own moments. As we dive into this, though, one of the overriding concerns coming out of it was that we've lost two more quarterbacks. And Pat, you did some uh, research on that. Yeah, I did. Uh, Trevor Harris is the fourth starting quarterback who's been knocked out of the game uh, with uh, an injury. We have Bo Levi Mitchell, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Matthew Schultz as well. But I suppose you could actually say Tyree Adams, who had got a start in Ottawa uh, week two. He also went out as well. So five starting quarterbacks out. But when you see that, uh, there's a lot of information that we can take a look at that. With Mason Fine and Taylor Powell coming in this week as starters, that raises the count to 16 starters that we've seen in 2023 already. Powell's actually going to be Hamilton's fifth different starter in the 12-game span going back to September 5th of 2022. Puts us on pace to to break potentially an all-time record in 2022. We saw 25 different quarterbacks start the game. And this year, early in the year, we already have 14. Trevor Harris, you could have heard a pin drop after what happened with him and Derek Wigan, who happened to roll onto his leg quite by accident. It was never an intent. It's been tweeted about. It's been discussed by the Rough Riders, the CFL, what has happened. We don't have to get into the medical terminology, but basically he's in for a long, long rehab. Matthew Schultz, we don't exactly know what has happened to him. Tyree Adams, ACL, that's documented. But let's go back to Bo Levi Mitchell. He pulls a groin muscle, evading a tackle. Jeremiah Mazzoli, Popsy Achilles, just trying to get out of the pocket. It's just, what is it about quarterbacks this year? It's just an unfortunate situation. We talked last week about Jeremiah Mazzoli's injury and whether he will have the opportunity to return to the field. You have to, at this point, ask the same question about Trevor Harris. Also in his late 30s and a a pretty serious leg injury to come back from, it's time for the next generation of quarterbacks to establish themselves in this league. It's Mason Fine is going to be the guy in Saskatchewan. I don't see anybody prying the ball out of Dustin Crum's hands in Ottawa. We'll get to that here in a little bit as well. And maybe we see that next wave of up-and-comers because there's been a bit of a lull. The the star quarterbacks, Mazzoli, Zach Kolaris, Trevor Harris, Michael Riley, who retired last year, Bo Levi Mitchell, are kind of in that end-of-career stage right now. And there isn't a lot of guys coming up that are making those waves and maybe there's some of these these new guys are going to get that chance. Dwayne Ford brought out an interesting and very prudent point. During the Ottawa Winnipeg game, they were talking about Dustin Crum and the impact he was having on the game. Now at that point in the game, he wasn't doing so well. Fourth quarter of course changes all that. What Dwayne Ford was saying is Ottawa doesn't need to push the panic button. They have some quarterbacks, young quarterbacks that They don't know what the upward level of their growth and development will be. You know, though, with Arbuckle and other quarterbacks that are out there, what they're going to provide for you. And his argument was, and I thought it was well put together, 
why go with something that you know where their ceiling is, where you could have somebody where you don't know where their ceiling is going to be? Granted, you're going to take some bumps to get there, but isn't it worth it to at least try? Because without asking, you never get an answer. Well, they went down that road in previous seasons with Caleb Evans giving him an opportunity, and it looks like he has maybe leveled off. But Tyree Adams was certainly showing some flashes in his short time as the number one guy in Ottawa. And Dustin Crum really got thrown in in emergency relief in one game. And then this was his first real opportunity against Winnipeg. And we saw him grow throughout the game. He settled in. And I think they had to look at what he does well and allow him to do it. You can't make a pocket passer out of a guy that's got the scrambling ability Injuries consistently allow the opportunity for a new quarterback to step in and, and show what they're capable of. And that's happened for many years. We've seen Ricky Ray step in. Recently, we saw McLeod Bethel-Thompson step in. It's rare that someone steps in and becomes a, a bona fide starter in one game or two games. The thing is for Mason Fine, who's been with the club for three years, this is his make-it-or-break-it opportunity. He had two starts last year. Granted, it was very trying circumstances because Cody Fajardo had been benched. The team was sort of making a desperate bid to make the playoffs. The Rough Riders now have to rest with him and see what he does. They can't be too panicky. We look at the Elks situation and how almost frenetic it is in terms of what's been going on with Taylor Cornelius, uh, Jared Daigie, or even Trey Ford. The one thing that has happened, we saw against Toronto where Cornelius went 12 of 14 in the first half, gets one series in the third quarter and is gone. His best game to that point, and he was benched. Jared Deggy gets a one start in Ottawa, then he's benched again. And we've talked about this on this podcast, that the one thing that I think is one liability, Chris Jones, is his inability to develop quarterbacks. He's a defensive guru. Chris Jones is about defense. What's going on in terms of the decision-making when you take one out, put one in, take one out, put one in? And Taylor Cornelius against Hamilton made some horrendous mistakes. I believe I read somewhere that he is now 4-21 and as the starting quarterback for the Edmonton Elks. How much more sample size do you need? He's shown some flashes of brilliance and a strong but inaccurate arm. The interception that he threw that led to a Hamilton touchdown was one of the worst mistakes you can make. It was a, a situation where he needs to learn to take the sack. I, in my opinion, I've seen enough of Taylor Cornelius that I don't think he is going to be a legitimate star quarterback in this league. More suited as a backup role, unfortunately for him. At 25 games now as a starter, I think that experiment should be coming to a close. That that play was absolutely inexcusable, and, and I think the team loses confidence in a quarterback who's just going to throw the ball away on a whim. You can try to make things happen. If you're throwing downfield and you're trying a big bomb and, and it works great or it doesn't, you get an interception. But to do something like that is just inexcusable. And I think if players don't trust the quarterback under center, they're not going to play as effectively. And I think we're reaching that point with Taylor Cornelius at this point. We talk about where we start with injuries and, and quarterbacks. Now, Bo Levi Mitchell is close to coming back for Hamilton. But again, we've got another new quarterback in Hamilton that's going to start. 
against the undefeated Argonauts. Taylor Powell has got the position. Now, in his defense, yes, he came out onto the field in Edmonton and threw a touchdown with his first pass. Is he ready? He doesn't seem to be in awe of what is about to happen, given his press conferences. This is the Toronto Argonauts. That defense, ball hawks. It was 2018. Bo Levi Mitchell was one of the two quarterbacks in that year to start all 18 games. And that was the last time we had quarterbacks start 18 games. Uh, Since then, we've seen the number of starters increase all the way. 2017, we had 19 starters. In 2018, we had 20. And then it ranges from 24 to 25 through 2019 to 2022. Ottawa has had four starting quarterbacks, four different starting quarterbacks in the previous four games. Now that Crum has a chance to go out again. He'll be the first one to get back-to-back since Arbuckle in week one and two. And Taylor Powell is kind of in the position now that Justin Crum was two weeks ago. He went in an emergency situation. He went two for four with a touchdown on his first ever CFL pass. And now he will get his first start. So again, much like what happened with Crum, we'll see if he's able to grow and adapt as the game goes on, or if that Toronto Argonauts defense is going to be too much for him to handle. One of the things I find, especially in the CFL, you don't see it as much in the NFL, but you see it in the CFL. There's this dismissiveness about rookie quarterbacks. The NFL has no problem with putting in a first-round quarterback to become their starter that very fall. I don't understand why there's such a different attitude toward it especially here compared to there we may see it with mason fine he may become a star taylor powell may become a star dustin crumb may become a star maybe we'll see trey ford finally get the play and he may become a star there uh, there are a lot of opportunities becoming available i mean how does uh, vernon adams ever get on the field without that first opportunity and yet look at his stats this year you need chances to make your way through. You do, but you're also learning a, a bit of a different game. We talked about rookie special teams players and errors that they've made in the return game, giving up single points or not giving up single points, depending on the situation. Now you've got a quarterback. If they're American, they have grown up playing four down football, 11 players on the field, and even the the offensive motion is different, the one yard off the ball now you've got an extra defender, you've got a bigger field, a lot of different nuances to the game that a, a first-year quarterback has to learn. Getting thrown in to these situations, it's baptism under fire and they have to learn quickly. Giving a quarterback more time to learn the nuances of Canadian football gives them a better chance to succeed than throwing in your, your first-round NFL quarterback into a game that he's grown up with and played through college and into into the pros. Fair enough, but let's look at it this way. A blitz in the NFL is the same thing as a blitz in the CFL. You're outgunned at the uh, line of scrimmage, and they're coming for you. What difference does it make if it's 11 or 12 out there? As I said last week, why are teams putting them on neg lists or negotiation lists and bringing them up here if they don't think they would make it? I know this is your test. This is the how you find out. If you want these guys to perform, the only way you can do it is to actually put them out there. 
I, th I think those are all valid points, and, and I think we have to be prepared with young quarterbacks, though, to see some of them struggle before they become bona fide starters or successful starters. We've seen that with Tracy Ham. You can go back with Anthony Cavillo in his first few years. He was a gunslinger, lots of, lots of errors and mistakes, but with some training, with some coaching, stepping back sometimes as a non-starter role, in time they can develop and understand the CFL nuances enough that they can be successful, if not all-star quarterbacks in the CFL. Stepping back and getting the coaching, I think, is the most important thing for anybody coming up here. You can stand on the sidelines all you want. The game goes by horizontally. What you need is someone to be talking to you while you're there, teach you about what you need to do when you get back in. That is one thing that can impact some of these players. If the veteran quarterback who's injured is able to be on the sideline, talk them through the game, slow it down for them so they can understand and they're going to make mistakes. They're going to throw interceptions. So if, if the team has enough patience to say, okay, we'll continue to look at them for some time or we'll step them back into that backup role for a year or two in some cases, when they get the opportunity, they have a better understanding of the game and can therefore succeed. And that could happen with someone like Taylor Cornelius. Second down. Hamilton started in Edmonton to kick off the week six version of CFL 2023. The Tiger Cats, who had just won the previous week, extend their winning streak to two games with a 37-29 to victory over the Elks in a game that really was dominated for the most part in the first half by Edmonton, but mistakes came back to haunt them. The final score flatters the Elks a little bit in this one. Hamilton came alive in the second half and got up to a 21-point lead, took their foot off the gas a little bit in the fourth quarter. The quarterback change with getting Jarrett Dagey in for the Elks allowed them to put a couple of points on the board, but never really threatened. After taking the lead to start the third quarter with their touchdown drive, things fell apart very, very quickly for the Elks. Edmonton started the second half with that touchdown. Kyron Moore flipped through a couple of tackles and it looked like the Elks had righted themselves immediately starting that second half with the first possession. And then everything, the wheels just came off faster than you could think. And suddenly by the end of that quarter, as you, as you indicated there, Heath, the Elks were in big trouble. At the end of the third quarter, I actually texted Heath and said that the Elks look like a team that is really struggling at this point. And to, to, give them something bright. They did come back in the fourth quarter. I think you're right, Heath. Hamilton wasn't as invested. They were up by quite a bit at that point. I mean, there's still some bright sides. Offensively, they, they moved the ball. And at the end, they were able to put some points on the board. They just need to be able to do that consistently throughout the game. Edmonton had 27 first downs, 107 yards rushing, 378 yards passing for a net offense of 473. Ticats, by comparison, 19 first downs, 151 rushing, which really made a big difference, but only 231 yards passing and a, an net offense of 369. We keep harping on how poor this Edmonton offense is, but 473 yards of offense is nothing to, to chortle at. That's pretty darn good. They also, for the second week in a row, dominated time of possession. The game in Regina, Edmonton absolutely controlled the football and yet didn't win the game because they were unable to score touchdowns when they got down deep or convert on field goal attempts. In this game, they 
missed out on opportunities. They had a chance to score a touchdown in the first quarter, missed on an out route. They had a chance to score a touchdown in the second quarter, receiver drops the ball at the one-yard line. It just, there's right at the critical times, they, they always say there's five plays in a game that dictate it. Edmonton picked off the wrong five plays. The, of course, the left-handed interception that was taken to the house. This seems to be Edmonton's MO so far this year. They just fall apart at inopportune times. They can't seem to put everything together at the same time. When we see a bright light in one area, then a different area lets them down. And it, it's got to be incredibly frustrating because to this point, they haven't put together a complete half, let alone a complete game. The trouble seems to snowball a little bit as well. One mistake, and they seem to lose focus a little bit. I'm questioning uh, some of the leadership on this team as well. It seems when they're out on the field and a mistake happens, there's nobody to really take charge and, and inspire them to shake it off and move on. It seems like everybody drops their head and wallows in self-pity, and then it just gets exponentially worse the next time they get the ball something else happens and then something else happens and they just can't come back from it it seemed like that Stavros Katsantonis interception the one that he took in from 33 yards out deflated the Elks and it was also interesting too I saw I don't know if you guys noticed it but I saw it in Chris Jones for the first time that he was actually angry on the sidelines he's a very collected soul he rarely shows any emotion and one time when he didn't get a uh, challenge go his way, he threw the challenge flag towards the back of the bench. And then he had a real intense discussion with C.J. Sims after Sims was tackled at the 41-yard line. I don't know, something that Sims said to somebody else. And Jones literally grabbed him and brought him over there. And unlike in Regina, where he tapped him on the head and said, you'll learn from this. This wasn't about being nice to him this was about making a point he has to be under an incredible amount of pressure and when we hear Victor Quee say in his interview this week that that Jones actually has a four-year contract that he can't get out of um, that's that's interesting because the consent was that it was going to be a single year and potentially the team could get out of it but Jones's MO has been that teams generally improve year after year and to date this one hasn't Jared Deggie, who doesn't play much of the game, but he does meet a soft Hamilton defense, goes 14 of 21 for 201 yards. Cornelius, 11 of 20 for 177. And, of course, the huge interception stat of two, one going back to the house. Matthew Schultz, 10 of 17. Taylor Powell, 2 of 4. The big stat for Hamilton was that James Butler finally got going, went off for 127 yards, and at times... Butler was just making a lot of ground. This is a, a change in offense for Hamilton that we haven't seen over the last several years. They have struggled to establish a running game for for several seasons now. And having somebody like James Butler come in and put up these numbers is really going to help the flexibility of that Ticats offense. They've now won two games in a row climbing back into things a little bit here in in the east and we know the pressure on them as the Grey Cup host city coming up this fall knocking off these two wins the the real test coming up next week against Toronto is going to be a, a good sample size of where they're at as a team 
It's also great to see Mark Leggio do well again. He is uh, continues to, to be lights out when he's kicking field goals with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Edmonton, the last time they were 0-6 was 1938. Edmonton made a game of it in the fourth quarter. Hamilton, in some senses, was a little bit lucky that it didn't get any worse and that the Elks didn't come all the way back to tie it. And one of the reasons why was that Niles Morgan took an objectionable conduct and a disqualification on a recovered onside kick. The Elks were going to be around midfield. That pushed them all the way back to the 10-yard line. Now, Morgan got injured at practice today, so he's not going to be playing against Winnipeg. That's going to be a big loss because in spite of what he did on that kickoff, he had a huge impact game for the Elks. But Edmonton really, I I believe, had Hamilton scared because one more recovered kickoff and suddenly everything is up for grabs. And Edmonton was two of three on these in the game. It, they did come back from three touchdowns down to making it a one-score game. Hats off to the Elks for, for making it close. Like I said, I felt that until that last minute, Hamilton never really was threatened once they took over control in the, in the third quarter. But Jarrett Daigie seemed to be a little bit of a spark for, for Edmonton. And... At 0-6 now, it's going to be a real struggle for the Elks to get themselves back into the playoff picture. That quarterback situation is going to be the big thing to watch for the Elks. We move to Montreal, Percival Molson Memorial Stadium, and the Toronto Argonauts are in town coming off the bye. The Alouettes, who had been in British Columbia not five days before, were the hosts, and this one turned out to be a barn burner where the team slogged it out and the Argos hang on to win 35-27 to in what many called the best overall game of the season so far. It was a very interesting game. Uh, both quarterbacks, I thought, put on a great display of offense, and, and the defenses stepped up when they needed to. It's fun to see games come down to the last minute, and this set the tone for the remainder of the weekend. It was a great game. A bit of a slow first half. It was Montreal 10, Toronto 7 going into the half, and that Second half sure delivered the entertainment value. There was touchdowns back and forth and fights over field position. A very, very entertaining conclusion. And again, a one-score game. It was an eight-point spread in this one. So a touchdown and two-point convert could have tied this game up. Now, Boris Beattie had an opportunity to preclude all of that. He had a field goal attempt from 43 yards out with about 35 seconds left that he missed, and that was the only miss he had all night. But it was huge. That kept Montreal in the game and gave them one opportunity, one more opportunity to get down the field and tie the game. I give full credit to the Alouettes, considering that they had to come back from British Columbia to play this game. They had the short week. They gave Toronto everything they could handle, and full marks for the Alouettes to fight it out right to the end. Uh, Cody Fajardo went 26 of 36 for 281 yards. His counterpart, uh, Chad Kelly, quarterback in the Argonauts, 21 of 25 for 351. The one thing that he could do, and we saw that early in the game, is that if he found a receiver open deep, he would put it on a dime for them. DeMonte Coxey and Tavares Daniels had standout games. And a balanced attack on offense for Toronto again. A.J. Ouellette had 14 carries for 94 yards. Andrew Harris kicked in 21. Montreal has really struggled to establish their run game this year. We talked about the 
change in Hamilton in establishing a running game, William Stanback has been one of the best running backs in the league over the last several seasons. And what a drop off this year. 12 carries for 53 yards in this one. And they really could not seem to establish anything in the ground game. You you make a great point about the Alouettes and Stanback. 12 attempts, 53 yards. That's just not the types of numbers that we expect from him. The other thing that I found very interesting was that PFF, which is the uh, rating system that they're using for the CFL this year in terms of offensive lines, quarterback play, uh, running backs, etc., rated the Montreal Alouettes top in terms of offensive line, yet they were on pace to give up 100 sacks. So that indicates to me that they look at this as a situation where the quarterback is more than marginally responsible for these sacks. And we have recounted several times where we've seen Cody Fajardo long before the pressure gets to him, do the spin and head to his left to his credit against the Argonauts. He really curtailed that activity. He did only four sacks in this game and and that was a great offensive showing for them. But I do think if they fail to, as you allude to, Heath, get William Stanbeck running, teams can just load up and put pressure on him. And that's where we've seen Cody in the past falter. He had a good game this game and it's nice to see a bounce back. So hopefully he continues to grow from that and we can see the offensive balance that Montreal used to have potentially come back. Because if you don't know if it's a run or pass, you can't pin back your ears and go after to put pressure on Cody. And again, the Argonauts using the second half to their advantage, 28 points they put up against that Alouette's defense. They had a big quarter, a third quarter against the Elks, and that's what put them over the top there. They had a big second half against the Lions. That's what put them over the top there. Toronto figures out what's going on, and by the third quarter, they're starting to roll. The Argonauts are full marks for their undefeated start. A good crowd, over almost 17,000 at Percival Molson. In spite of thunderstorms in the area earlier in the day, made it tough for people to get to the game, but they still showed up. Uh, give credit to Edmonton, too, over 21,000 to watch the Elks play. Ratings are just climbing exponentially, it seems, in the CFL on uh, TSN. The, the ratings for this past weekend were the highest since week two of the pandemic-shortened 2021 season. And I'll put it in context. Week two of the 2021 season, we didn't have a 2020, so people were starved for this. And this was late in August when this week two occurred. We're not to August yet, and this past week, well over, on average, 500,000 people watching each game. Granted, they got some great football. The Toronto Argonauts' first 4-0 and start since 1981. Schedule's going to get a little bit tougher for the Argonauts. They're not going to have a bye every two weeks from here out for the rest of the season. So this will be a, a bit of a stretch. They've got those two buys out of the way already. Uh, it's going to be a, a long remainder of the season, but they have certainly built some momentum up, and Chad Kelly continues to impress that quarterback. If I'm not mistaken, it's about eight straight weeks before they get their next bye. Long way to go. Saturday afternoon at TD Place Stadium in Ottawa, the Blue Bombers go into Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Winnipeg jump out to an 18 to nothing lead, lead 25 to six at one point, 
and yet a wild fourth quarter and an amazing comeback, and it's the Red Blacks that win the football game, Dustin Crum becoming an instant hero. I was only able to watch the first half of the game, and at first half, when Dustin Crum had passed for only 20 yards, uh, as I went to the Ryder game, I was thinking, boy, this is going to be a blowout, 18-0. But what, what a finish. It was great to come back and watch him lead that team offensively in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter, drive after drive, having success and and being able to make the plays when they needed it and to pull out a win was phenomenal. We talked earlier in this podcast about the Elks and the snowballing of mistakes. Uncharacteristic for Winnipeg, they had a few big errors in that second half, especially in that fourth quarter that cost them. Dalton Schoen dropped a sure touchdown and went right through his hands. He had everybody beat. Had he scored a touchdown on that one, it's likely game over. Brady Oliveira could not get the ball going on the ground, but caught a pass, got out to midfield, fumbled, Ottawa recovers. Deep in their own end, Zach Claris throws behind Drew Wolitarski, a tipped ball that Ottawa catches and returns for a touchdown. So three big mistakes. You wipe any one of those off the board, it's likely a Winnipeg Blue Bombers win. They just could not contain Crum in the second half when he started using his legs, uh, including that game-winning overtime touchdown. Brandon Dandridge had that interception. It was on the heels of two attempts by Ottawa to score a touchdown, but they were stymied inside, or in the second case, just outside the 10-yard line. They went for it all and came back empty. Interestingly, had they kicked a field goal in either one of those instances, they were playing for the win at the end of the game. You're right about the Blue Bombers making the mistakes. I think back to the Grey Cup, and we can point to that as well, as where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers stumbled in the fourth quarter of that game, having an interception and a field goal blocked. The Blue Bombers may be coming back to earth. I've kind of wondered when Father Time was going to catch them, But the other thing, and let's not forget this, teams have been studying the Blue Bombers for years now, and they're going to catch up to them whether the Blue Bombers want them to or not. Well, and Ottawa played Winnipeg really tough last year at the start of the season as well. Jeremiah Mazzoli had them in position to win both of their, their games early last year. So Ottawa, despite what their record has been, have played Winnipeg really tough. Of course, Winnipeg in the mini overtime game kicked a field goal, interestingly, on second down when they had a chance to get a first down. Zach Kolaris was sacked. That set up the field goal. Sergio Castillo makes it, and then that set up the fireworks at the end where Dustin Crum, no irony at all that this time the seas part, and he has a clear path to the end zone to win the football game, where in Hamilton there was someone there at the end. Interestingly, when he scored the touchdown to put them within two, the two people he really beat on the play were Willie Jefferson and Adam Big Hill. He outran Jefferson, and he made the move on Big Hill to get inside. And then when he got down to the two-yard line, instead of trying to go sideways, he put his head down and ran right through them to get the touchdown. You wouldn't want to see that happen two weeks in a row. It would have been demoralizing. But what an entertaining finish to that game. And his running made a huge difference, as well as... The fact that they seem to rediscover Nate Bihar in this game. He's been an afterthought in the offense, and he was the person who was making the clutch catches all night long. Two home wins in a row now for the Ottawa Red Blacks. 
after they broke that 13 game losing streak so you have to feel great for those those loyal red ba- red blacks fans who have supported the team throughout thick and thin they're getting some rewards here now just a further pa- pat's point 10 catches for 87 yards for bahar and of course a two point convert that catch that he made on the sideline at the near the end of the game when time was of the essence and they made that dart throw and he just he kept both feet in bounds, but what a beautiful throw and what a beautiful play by Bahar to keep his feet in bounds, maintain possession as he fell out. It was outstanding. Great concentration and, uh, you know, they, they did what they needed to do and to have that success is great for this Ottawa Red Black team and I can't wait to see the park start to fill up as they've been very exciting at home. Zach Galeris goes 22 of 32 for 354. A one interception as we recounted. Two touchdown passes. Dustin Crump, 26 of 42, 261. Most amazingly is he completed every pass going down the field on that final drive. He didn't miss a one. What an amazing, amazing game. I was with you, Pat. I was at the stadium in Regina. So I was watching my phone getting these updates. And the last thing I had seen was 25 to 9 for Winnipeg. And I thought, well, at least Ottawa gave an account of themselves. And the next thing I check back, 25-25, and they're going into overtime. <laughs> and I'm like, what has happened? And and we sit down, and the game is or about to start, and the flash comes across my phone. Ottawa's won in overtime. This is one of those prime examples of the last three minutes of a CFL football game, and anything can happen. It was unbelievable, and, and we're going to get into another one here right away with Calgary and Saskatchewan. Just incredible entertaining finishes to to both of these games it reminds me of july 27 2017 and if you don't remember the blue bombers with a minute and 45 to go in that football game were down two touchdowns to the montreal alouettes in winnipeg and matt nichols of all people led them to two scores with the final play of the game a handoff to andrew harris if you weren't a fan of the cfl and you watched all four games this week there's no doubt that you have been converted after an outstanding group of games with Great finishes, and the nuances of the CFL were brought forth once again. So I think all those American fans who maybe aren't familiar and who are watching streaming games are going to start to spread the words of what a fantastic league this is and exciting games. Let's move to part two on Saturday. We're at Mosaic Stadium with the Calgary Stampeders in town to take on the Rough Riders. Stampeders hadn't lost in Regina since 2018. And they would not lose again as the Stamps hang on and with a last play field goal from 50 yards out, defeat the Rough Riders 33-31 to in one of the wildest finishes you could ever expect out of a game. Up until this point, I believe on one series only had a team been sacked and still managed to go down the field and score a touchdown. Well, here Mason Fine had been sacked twice in a row and through the Hail Mary, bounces off of two Calgary defenders and goes into the hands of Tevin Jones, and he runs it in from 10 yards out. The stadium was just electric when that happened. I mean, the, the Riders really hadn't played a great game offensively. They were lucky to be in it because of outstanding special teams play. Mario Alford, with two touchdown returns in the game, was uh, unbelievable to watch him get into the seams and, and take the ball deep, but... When they scored that touchdown, collectively everyone was so excited in one breath and then turned and looked at the time remaining on the clock and realized that there's a lot of time left to get in field goal range. So 
the defense wasn't able to hold up their part of the bargain on that last drive. And it's unfortunate for the Riders, but but I'm not sure they really deserve that win when you take the whole of the game in, save for one Hail Mary pass. You look at the sequence of events at the end of the second quarter, the Stampeders score two touchdowns in the final three minutes, including one with six seconds to go to Luther Hakavanu. And it looks like the Riders are starting to reel. Then to start the third quarter, Tommy Lee Lewis takes a punt back all the way for a score and a bad block by Mark and Michelle right at the point of attack, whether or not he needed to even touch the defender. But Calgary would have scored three touchdowns on three successive drives had that stood. As it was, it's, as you said, a punt return from Saskatchewan that brings him back in. A call shot, too. At halftime, he had called that he said he was due another one. A couple things that stood out for me in this game seeing Brett Lothar get a little bit more in control of his kicking game. He was only one for two, but he made a, a clutch kick when it mattered. And that return game, as you mentioned for Mario Alford, was, was a real difference maker. Dynamic returns in the CFL are another thing that makes this game exciting. And special teams become such an important, almost equal importance to the offense and defense in the CFL. And we certainly saw that on display in this one. Untimely penalty for the Calgary Stampeders prevented it from being three return touchdowns in, in one game. Well, Lowther's one big miss was wide to the right and short of all things. And Clark Barnes almost took it to the house for the Stampeders. Stampeders, to their credit, and this is, here we go with Tevin Jones, in the post-game presser, I think rather jokingly, the head coach of the Rough Riders, Craig Dickinson, said that I kind of said to Tevin, you needed to go down prior to scoring so that we could have just punched the ball in and left no clock for the Stampeders. A lot of people took a lot of umbrage with that comment because here's a guy who just has caught a deflected pass with 30,000 people screaming and he's supposed to look up and try to find a clock. Meanwhile, he's got Cameron Judge, who was 40 yards behind the play, now hustling after him, and he's got another defender in front of him trying to strip the ball. Tell me where in that universe he's supposed to think, oh yeah, if I just get down to one knee at the one-yard line. Well, if he gets down on one knee at the one-yard line, they still need to successfully punch it in as well. So what would people be saying about Coach Dickinson if that was the case? And that Calgary Stampeders defensive line comes up with a goal line stand to win the game. They had failed on a third and one already in the game. And let's go back to the 2019 West Final. The Riders had a deflected ball caught by Kyron Moore at the five-yard line. The game on the line and what happens on third down? Kadoink. They hit the goal post and it's over. They don't score from five yards out. Tevin Jones put the Rough Riders into a tie game at that very moment, and then Lowther hits the convert. To, for the coach to even come near saying that to him, or not to defend him at the press conference if someone had asked, I thought was unconscionable. And as it stands, Rene Paredes still needed to make a 50-yard field goal to win the game. It was no gimme for Calgary to come back and win. Get down the field and get into field goal range, which they did, but it's not a sure thing. They did everything that they could on offense to get into the position to allow Paredes the chance to win the game for them. Stampeders had 36 seconds. And one of the things I, I will just further on this, on that final play, 
the last catch that was made by the Stampeders prior to the field goal, the Rough Riders inexplicably are playing like Calgary's going to go for the touchdown. Their defense is dropping back. It doesn't matter if they catch it 15 or 20 yards down the field. If they catch it down the middle, they may not be able to stop the clock. But instead, the Riders drop back, give up a 5-7 to seven yard completion, give pred- some credit to Rennie Paradis. Talk about exercising some ghosts. If we go back to that West semifinal where he missed a couple and he was so abjectly upset over what had happened, he was perfect Saturday afternoon. One of the decisions by the coach that I questioned was the or attempt a 54-yard field goal with uh, just just over seven minutes remaining. At that point, you're down three. And I think if you're to pin them deep, you have the opportunity to get back in that game. One that I questioned, to go for the field goal with seven minutes, 24 seconds left from the 54-yard line when Brett Lawther has struggled beyond 50. At that point, the Riders could have relied on their defense to try to make a stop. And I think had the Riders been able to pin them deep with a uh, punt instead, I think that may have been a game-turning moment. Clark Barnes... 86-yard return was outstanding, and uh, that, to me, changed the game. Another element that changed the game, of course, obviously, was Trevor Harris going down in the fourth quarter. To be fair, Harris had not looked good in the football game to that point. And I'm wondering if there was something in the back of his head saying, I've got to do something for this team, and that's why he took off. And it was just a very unfortunate circumstance that cost the injury. Now, Mason Fine comes in. Calgary just unload the blitz on him. And then, of course, the Hail Mary at the end of the game that everyone in that stadium thought, that's it, the Rough Riders have won. But full credit to Jake Mayer. We said coming into this game, he had to show something. He had to prove that he was going to be the starting quarterback in Calgary. He did it. This was a crucial game for Calgary and for Jake Mayer to step forward in that time and give him a chance to still... In this case, I think they've got a great opportunity now to to take a look at third place in the West. This kept them in it. The season series would have gone to Saskatchewan, and that game against Calgary later in the year is going to be a great game. We were looking last week at what happens in certain scenarios this week, and had Winnipeg and Saskatchewan both won and pushed the Stampeders another game back with only one win, things were going to get very tough. Now you're you've got two wins under your belt, and you're chasing a couple of teams that are not much further ahead. Winnipeg is in second place with a 4-2 and two record. So very reachable for the Stampeders to get back in it and even possibly a push for second place. Jake Mayer, 26 of 37, two touchdown passes, one interception. Rough Riders, three different quarterbacks throwing. But interestingly, Harris, 16 of 22 for 115 yards. Um, Mason Fine comes in 6 of 8 for 116 and two touchdowns. One other thing that happened this weekend that is huge for the CFL, the three teams sitting on one win all won. The gap now between the first-place team in the league and the eighth-place team in the league is now just two games. That's huge for parity. That's huge for fan interest. One of the things about knocking the Blue Bombers pegged down just a little bit gets more interest because now more teams are at play in terms of who could win first in the West and who could be going to the Grey Cup. Third down. Week seven coming up. Four games on the schedule. 
should be a lot of fun. Let's go with the opener on Thursday night in Winnipeg. The Elks go in. Winnipeg, 14.5-point favorites over Edmonton. I don't know how to make sense of this. I certainly did not give Ottawa any credit last week. Does Edmonton deserve more love than this spread? We're now getting Winnipeg with a bounce-back game at home. A bitter taste in their mouth after giving away the game against the Ottawa Red Blacks last week. Edmonton did finally put up some points in this last game. And it looks like Jarrett Dagey is going to be the starting quarterback. Kenny Lawler returns to the lineup for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for the first time this season. I like Winnipeg in the bounce back on this one. And 14 and a half is an awfully big spread, but... If there's a, a matchup where it's going to happen, it's against the Edmonton Elks. So I'm going to take Winnipeg to cover that 14 and a half. Okay, I'm going to bring two things to that. One, Winnipeg is on a short week. Played Saturday afternoon, now it's Thursday, and they were in an Eastern time zone. Only an hour for them, but still. The other thing I'm going to bring to you, maybe what Ottawa did to them wasn't so much of a fluke. Maybe the Bombers are stumbling a little bit and what if Edmonton has also seen that game film and decided hmm we can exploit that now Jarrett Dagey is a is a passer he loves to chuck that ball and one way to beat the Blue Bombers is throwing it deep against them that I've said that from day one you you push that ball over the top you can take that that set of corners so that being said Don who are you looking to take I'm leaning towards Winnipeg at home, winning, but not covering. I, I think that the Elks are going to feel disrespected by this. If they can get their running game going, that's been their biggest problem, is their inability to get that running game going. Now, you could argue that that offensive line isn't up to grade yet, but they should be able to run on one side or the other. If they can do it against Winnipeg, it's possible that Edmonton could really give them a run for their money. This is a game where you've got a huge spread, but I think it's the right spread because it's kind of difficult to choose whether or not Winnipeg can cover that. Now, I think I'm in agreement with Heath. I think Winnipeg will have a bounce-back game. They may not be the juggernaut they once were, but at the same point, I think they they have a lot of pride and, and they're going to bounce back a little bit from this game. I do think Winnipeg is going to win. I think it will be just under. I'd like, I'm guessing about 13 points because I think they're right in the right ballpark here. Uh, if Edmonton can can do things on offense because Winnipeg's defense is going to come out firing. Uh, in this case, I say 13 points. So I'm going to I'm going to say they won't beat the spread, but Winnipeg will win this game. After the BC Lions came into Winnipeg and humiliated them, uh, I, I think Winnipeg has some determination to hold on to that home winning record and and don't want to give it up to a team like Edmonton. BC was one thing, but to lose at home to Edmonton would be a, a pretty tough one to swallow. Just don't get caught up in recency bias. Friday night, the Argonauts are in Hamilton. Toronto again favored. Second game in a row on the road for the Argonauts. However, they stay within the same time zone. The joys of being out east. One time zone covers all four teams. And if you ever want to travel and watch football, that's the way to do it. 
land in one of those centers and just train it to wherever you have to go. It's just an amazing way to catch a bunch of games on a weekend. Can Taylor Powell upset the apple cart? Can he do something and make Hamilton legitimately a contender in this game? I'd be surprised if that happens. I see Toronto as being the class of the CFL, and I think their defense is incredibly strong. My guess is they're going to bring a lot of pressure onto Powell, and uh, this could be a game where Toronto more than beats that spread. I think their offense has started to show great signs. Chad Kelly has been outstanding in the games that he's played. He's certainly exceeded the expectations I would have had for him going into the season. So I think Toronto will win this game easily, and I think they'll obviously beat that point spread. I'm going to go the other way on this one. Hamilton has rattled off two wins in a row now. They are starting another quarterback with his first ever start. I still have faith in Chad Kelly leading Toronto to victory, but it's going to be closer than that spread. So I'm taking Hamilton to to uh, beat the spread in this one. Hamilton, certainly the confidence is sky high after two straight wins. Ryan Dinwiddie and Corey Mace and that entire coaching staff is going to have them prepped and ready because this is an Eastern Division opponent. If Toronto loses here, Hamilton is suddenly one game back. So I'll take the Argos and the spread. Saturday night, looks like a huge crowd is going to be in British Columbia, including our intrepid reporter, Heath Graham, who's going to be at the game, giving us live feed. Or are you? I will do my best. BC is 10.5 point favorites. They're coming off a bye. As much as the Toronto defense will give up a lot of yards and make up for it with turnovers, the BC Lions defense will not give up any yards. To me, this one comes down to Vernon Adams Jr. and what kind of performance you get from him. He's he's up and down. He's had a, a terrible game this season. He's had a great game this season. They've had a bye week. I do like the Lions to win this one. I'm curious to see what Mason Fine does against that BC defense, but I, I don't see them pulling off the upset. I believe BC wins. Ten and a half point spread is too big, though. I'm going to take the Saskatchewan to, to beat that spread, keep it a little bit closer than that. BC's defense has been playing very well this year, and the fact that Saskatchewan's offensive line is still struggling, I think will leave Mason Fine under a lot of pressure in this game. After giving seven sacks last week, I could see that number being similar this week with BC. So I'm going to say that BC will win and cover the spread. The Lions have looked really strong, other than the game in Toronto where Vernon Adams Jr. was forcing it in the second half. I just don't know that the Rough Riders have enough on defense to keep the game close. Mason Fine, I would love to see have a breakout game and really prove that he can be a starting quarterback but this may be the wrong defense and the wrong stadium to try it. Sunday night in McMahon Stadium, the Stampeders are favored against the Ottawa Red Blacks. This one is a little bit tougher because you've got Ottawa with a two-game winning streak. You've got Calgary who had a big turnaround game against the Rough Riders to win that one. Both teams, you would guess, would be on a, an emotional high. You can't take a, anybody lightly in this because they both have won big games. I think this game is going to be closer than the spread allows. 
Can Ottawa win? That's my question. That defense is proving to be very, very good. They held the Blue Bombers to 25 points in four quarters. It was a big emotional win for Ottawa. I don't see them pulling off this one in Calgary. I, I think that the Stampeders, with their emotional win in Saskatchewan, ride that momentum. Four and a half really means is it a difference between a, a field goal win or a touchdown win. I like the Stampeders by a touchdown in this one. So I, I think Calgary at home stops the momentum of the Red Blacks, ends their two-game win streak, and they cover this spread. Calgary hasn't won at home this year. They're 0-2. Well, Ottawa's defense has played very well. I think Calgary at home is going to be motivated to continue to get closer to the top of the West. And I think in this case, Ottawa had an outstanding performance in the second half and specifically in the fourth quarter by Crum, but I'm not sure that he can replicate that. So I'm going to take Calgary to cover this spread. I'll put it to you this way. If Ottawa is less than seven down and has the ball with less than a minute to go, Ottawa wins. You're liking that magic? Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.